thou shalt read the script infinite times. <laughs> that is commandment number one. Uh, can you both speak to that? I'll, I'll, I'll pass the mic to you guys. I read the script a couple times a day. It's so funny how my understanding of the script continues to evolve and change uh, just throughout my time on the show. So I'm always reading it. And I'm always asking the, the showrunner, the writer's question, any little question I have, I will pop in that office and ask, you know, not only what is it that they intend, but how do they want the audience to feel is always the most important thing for me. Right. How do, right. How do the characters feel first versus how what they want the audience to take away? Yeah, I mean, that... <laughs> I can't say enough about how important it is to really understand the subtext of every scene. Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman is a podcast on directing for anybody that's quite simply ever watched anything. Pete converses with a wide range of fellow directors, writers, actors, showrunners, producers, executives, and more on a journey to determine just what makes a good director and why we'll always need stories. The Director is Pete Chapman's digital studio, built on the pillars of craftsmanship that ensure a unique vision. I'm talking about story, innovation, perspective. Learn more about The Director, and better yet, get your official director's chair wear by visiting www.drctr.video. That's drctr.video. Roll sound. Speed. The Interview. Take one. Action. Welcome to episode 10 of Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman. It is a special craft episode where we are going to deal primarily in or only in the craft of directing. Um, we are going to talk to two directors that I've known for quite a while, very talented in their own right, Ms. Erica Watson and Mr. Tahir Jeter. Uh, let's do some applause in your car, in your living room, wherever you are. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, you know, I, I could introduce you guys, but I feel like you would probably more, uh, likely introduce yourselves better. So, um, Erica, tell us, tell the people who you are. Hi, I'm Erica. I'm from Detroit. I'm a writer, director. I'm a harpist. I'm a classical musician, and I'm an episodic director of television. And I live in LA. And what shows have you directed? Uh, recently I did uh, Power Book 2, For Life on um, ABC, L Word, Generation Q, um, Claws. I've done a number of them. Krypton, which is one of my favorites. Yep, yep, yep. All right. And Tahir, how about you? Uh, <clears throat> hi. Excuse me. I'm Tahir Jeter. I'm from uh, Bellsville, Maryland, which is a small <laughs> town near College Park. Um, yeah, I'm a writer, director, and uh, looking to to segue more into TV directing, as well as continuing to get some features off the ground. So, yeah. All right, and so you and you also just uh, did the uh, Warner Brothers program. I did, which was amazing. Yeah, yeah. All right. What are you gonna say? Well, no, I mean it was uh, so the Warner Brothers program, which is taught by. Um, Rebecca, I'm sorry, geez, waking up. Uh, Mary Lou Belly and uh, Bethany Rooney and was overseen by Ellie Lockman and Rebecca Windsor uh, was a 10-week class that they condensed into two weeks. And it was kind of like a new film school education. And it was by far one of the most instructive 
awesome things I've been able to experience recently. So super cool. What would you say was like the biggest thing that you took away? I mean, there was so much, man. I feel as though I kind of wish they could have taught, instructed their own, their own university just because of the fact that uh, there's so many things that you're kind of not taught intuitively with respect to directing and working with actors that I feel like you either have to learn by virtue of practice or by virtue of like getting in an acting class. And I found that I still have so much to learn. And it was, it was um, kind of a transcendent experience because of that. Mm -hmm. And I guess, uh, Erica, just to tell the folks more about you, like, uh, what was the kind of condensed road to your first episode of TV? And and what was like the thing that kind of caught you off guard? Like, wow, this, I did not expect this. In terms of getting the first episode or in terms of doing an episode or what do you mean? Like the first, like everybody wants to know, like, how did you get your first episode of TV? Because you were doing uh, shorts before, right? Um, what was the, how did you transition? Because you didn't do a directing program, did you? I did a number of directing programs. I think all of us were in the Sony program. I was in the Sony program to here, and then I think you were in it before us. Okay, okay. Yeah, so I did uh, that. But I mean, I guess... I think the thing that really helped me more than anything was a, um, a short film that I made, my graduate thesis film that I made at USC, uh, Rubata. I was in the graduate um, film program there and I was having a lot of success with that and it was an over 50 festival. So I feel that a lot of people sort of started to understand my voice as a director and an artist and had an interest in what I wanted to do. And, there were people who uh, supported me along the way, whether it was executives or agents or managers or uh, just people who mentored me, like Anthony Henry Way and Seek Mann. And uh, those people sort of taught me the differences between making a short film and working in episodic TV and uh, paved the way for me to be able to have my first episode. Um, Dope. And so before we kind of dive into this uh, this conversation, what is it that excites each of you about directing television? I'll defer to Erica. Oh, <laughs> 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 um, I don't know. I think it's really fun to have the opportunity to jump into so many different worlds and to sort of play in an array of different stories. I mean, for me, doing something like All American on CW and then being able to do something like um, Krypton, which we shot in Northern Ireland, which was a DC Comics show. I just get to play in such a wide sort of arena of uh, stories that I think that that is pr probably the most exciting thing for me. And to hear, what about you? Because you, you, uh, that episode's coming. So like, what is it that excites <laughs> you about, uh, about doing it in the future? I think that what really excites me about it is the prospect of being able to go deep into character over a long term with respect to a narrative. I think that, you know, I think, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, with some of the better TV that's coming out, especially some of the premium cable stuff, um, you know, True Detective, Fargo, like Better Call Saul, it's almost like you're looking at these really kind of exquisite novels. Um, and I think there's something very exciting about like being able to delve into the nuance of what's going on on a minute story level. Um, that you can't quite do in features. And I think just like being able to get that granular with story is very exciting to me. 
All right, so we're going to dive in here. And obviously, this episode's called uh, Ten Commandments for Episodic Television Directors. And I would, I would be remiss if I didn't state up top that obviously we are in no way making light of religion. Uh, we are, you know, we are using uh, this metaphor to communicate how central these practices should be to your process of directing. Um, and so before we even get to the 10, I have a bonus section called pre-pre-production. So in, in film, um, you're probably, and in, and in commercials and music videos, you're probably used to the three stages. You have pre-production, you have production, and you have post. But I found personally, um, and I, I'd love to get your opinions as well, that um, pre-prep is kind of crucial because there's so much that you have to do before you can start prep. So I've divided this up into things you do before you were hired and things that you do after you get the job. So pre-prep bonus number one is thou shalt watch all episodes of the show. One hundred percent. And in fact, you should watch every episode twice. Um, I think that that first viewing is to experience it like a viewer. Um, your end user. I think the second time is to analyze the moving parts. Um, and so you kind of understand what the showrunner is looking for. Um, and then, you know, you want to look at the character arcs, the storylines, the style of shooting, pacing, editing, music choices. Um, and I think most specifically, you want to identify the tone of the show and the themes of the, of the show. So if I take some of the shows I've done, um, you know, if you take Blackish, it's a it's a generational comedy. So you always know the lens through every episode's issue is Dre and Bo have a perspective. Then you have the kids, and then you have Rudy. I'm I'm sorry, Ruby and and Pops, and you get three opportunities to address an issue. Um, or something like All Rise is a legal procedural where the antagonist isn't a character, but the legal system itself. And so you just watch, 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 um, and and store that information and take notes. Um, Erica, what's your what's your process like? What do you what do you do if you're gonna watch a show? If you're directing a show that has like eight seasons or or I don't know three seasons, and you just don't have the time to like watch everything? Do you do you how do you approach that? Uh, I try to. I really, really, really try to watch. Um, as much as I can. If I'm not able to watch all of it before the show starts, I'll continue to watch it in those early days of prep. I'll sort of divide how many episodes I need to do each day when I go home at night or when I wake up in the morning before I go, I'll continue to watch. I think one of the most difficult things is if it's in a show, if I'm working on a show that's in, in its first season and there are no episodes available for me to watch, <laughs> mm. then I um, will try to get the scripts in advance if the studio will give them to me. Sometimes they don't want to do that. Um, I'll try to get the scripts for the episodes that precede mine, and I'll try to talk to the producers to see if I can see some of the footage from post so I can at least understand uh, the visual style of the show. Gotcha. And I, and, I try to do and, those things before I start. Mm -hmm. And Tahir, was there any... Um... In the in the Warner program, did you guys touch on pre pre prep? <laughs> <laughs> we I mean, we did, and I, you know, I, I have to say, unfortunately, I left a, those notes are in my computer folder somewhere. But uh, I mean, for me, I think 
<clears throat> I would pretty much do everything that you're suggesting. I would watch as much of every season that I could. Um, I would really want to delve into the backstories of different characters and get advanced scripts. That was something that they mentioned, you know, if you, mm -hmm. uh, you know, previous scripts, just so you can see what's going on or, you know, uh, what's coming ahead and um, just really make sure you understand character. And I think with one of the things that was really instructive was like the fact that we were dealing with a sample procedural show. Mm. And I think with procedurals, a lot of times, because there's so much exposition, you have a tendency to kind of like, if you're sloppy, you might glaze over the words uh, mm -hmm. because it's just like, you're just like, oh, these characters are just passing information from scene to scene. And it's like, you have to really dig deep and like go into character to find out what is making those people tick. Uh, even if a good part of the script is exposition or passing information along, if that makes sense. Um, right. So. Totally. I, I think the other challenge is also, I remember when I, um, when I was in the Disney ABC program and I shadowed on Grey's Anatomy, and it was season 13, I ain't got 44 minutes <laughs> times times uh, 24 episodes right. times 12. Right. I don't even know how many that is, right? right. But that's a lot. Yeah. And um, so then you kind of d discover like a system of, well, at least watch the pilot, maybe watch two after the pilot, you know, get to episode three, hop to the a couple two to three episodes in the middle and then watch the second to last in the finale. Um, and it's not, you know, it's not cheating. You're, I, I, there are definitely directors who show up and do not watch the show at all, which I've been surprised to learn. Um, and I think that you can tell uh, by those episodes who's really doing their homework. Um, yeah. So pre-prep bonus number two is thou shalt ask around. Um before you are hired, you if if you are doing a first episode on a show and you don't know anything, the quickest way to find out something is to find a fellow director, writer, actor, script supervisor, camera assistant, PA that can tell you something about the show, um, something about the culture. Um, if it's a director, you can get into what their process was like working with talented with talent or the showrunner. Um, you know, any horror stories that they can kind of pull your coat to. Um, you know, I have a bunch of examples that come to mind. Um, like when I did a typical, uh, Tahir, did Charlize do uh, wardrobe on your feature? Charlize no, Antoinette? No, but she was, no, she didn't. Okay. Um, but you know what we're talking about. There's someone totally. from, from, from New York and yeah. um, shared contact. And I was like, oh, she's in the wardrobe department on Atypical. Yo, what's good? Tell me something. And, um, you know, oftentimes you're just trying to get insight on what you're stepping into. Um, have you, either of you dealt with those scenarios and, and found uh, fruitful advice? Always. Sometimes I call you. <laughs> <laughs> Always. I think it's always great to sort of uh, talk to people who can make the road a little bit easier for you by, you know, giving you some insight. So. Yeah, I interestingly, I uh, so I've only shadowed on two shows, but obviously, you know, we've been in contact and I, you know, from everybody that I with everybody that I speak to, I get a sense of what sort of challenges are presented by different personalities on set. Um, mm. But from shadowing, it was interesting because I, I, I find that such an, um, 
you know, it's a great experience because I think very quickly you you get a sense of who has what dynamic within the cast. So, you know, it's like you can tell very quickly whether someone is a prima donna, whether they have some challenges, whether they're, you know, whether they're the sweetest person, et cetera. So you can get a sense of how to kind of dance around what's going on on set. Right. And I, I think it's the other thing to note is that you can't you can't take what you hear from folks as gospel uh, because oftentimes they've got a unique perspective on that person that, you know, I, I remember doing films in my pre-TV days and people say, oh, that actor is going to be tough to deal with. And then what you find out is that the person talking to you was unprepared and hence caught the the uh, wrath of of said talent. <laughs> and it's like, well, you were, you were the actual issue. So it's like it's information. It gives you something, but you can't let it override a real experience and come in there like, oh, this actor's going to be horrible because you might you might step out of that with a new friend and you and you have to come in there um, with an open mind. But uh, information is key. Um, so the last one before you are hired, um, thou shalt research your collaborators. And uh, how do you how do you I see you nodding, Erica, how do you go about doing that? Well, I was thinking a little bit about what you just said, which I think also applies to the the commandment that you just stated is a lot of times I like to try to see if I can sit with the actors on the cast before I do the episode, if that's an option. Sometimes you don't get to meet them until the first day, but if it's people who are, you know, at the top of the call sheet, you can ask the producers or the AD or whoever, if you can have five minutes with them on set or in their trailer or something like that. That will, that has a lot of weight and it really helps to make your experience on set a lot easier. Right. So. Right. That's a, that's a great idea. There's something about like, in some ways it's, it feels like an assembly line of creativity and anything you can do to make yourself a real person and not a, a, a peg in the director slot. It really helps. I had also heard, well, uh, it was recommended to us in the workshop to actually kind of Google uh, a lot of our casts, which mm-hmm. you would think would be like a you know intuitive thing, but um, just to get a sense of what's going on in these people's lives, right, and what's going on in their careers, so that you have some awareness of, you know, not to get like negative, but if there's some uh, acrimony on set, if things are a little <laughs> testy sometimes, maybe it's coming from something that's going on in this person's life, you know. Um, so I don't know, just doing research through Google. Right. Yeah. No, that, 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 that's a good move. I think a lot of time I found on, on set is like Video Village becomes shoot the shit central. And, <laughs> and so if you can like, if you can say, hey, I, I checked out that other, that film, that indie film you shot, DP, or you know what the, um, the actor is working on they had a guest appearance on a premium cable show um, or, or film or just whatever. Like it's the first opportunity for them to kind of show that you have for them to see you have interest in what they do and just build a rapport. Um, But oftentimes too, you find that there are things that people are doing on shows that may not necessarily be their creative passion. And the fact that you saw something else that maybe they're more passionate about can bring them to your team and now they're like, yeah, let's go for that shot that we never do on this show, you know, <laughs> or, or whatever it might be. Um, 
I think that um, I was just trying to think of examples of that. But like when I did Mythic Quest, um, before I had my interview, I went and watched the only thing I could was about 30 episodes again of Always Sunny because I wanted to be super familiar with Rob McElhenney and what they were doing. And then when I got the job, I knew the DP, Mike Berlucci, shot You're the Worst. And so I went and watched that again because it's like I want to know what your inclinations are. And um, again, information is key. So those are three things before you're hired. Um, now you got the job. You have a, a start date, but it ain't yet arrived. Um, and so the prep pre-prep bonus number four is thou shalt request all scripts. And I think um, to hear or Eric, you might have mentioned this earlier, but mm -hmm. um, this is where you want to catch up to what's going on in the story. Um, when I was doing All Rise on the season finale, it was episode 122. They had only aired up to 117. So episode 118, 19, 20 and 21, I had to read in addition to watching all the ones that it aired to see what was tracking in the story. Um, when you're in that process, Erica, of, of reading the scripts, what kind of questions are you asking yourself? Well, the, the main thing for me is always sort of tracking the character's emotional psychology in each episode so that when it comes time to direct my episode, I can sort of make something visually that's a reflection of what they feel. Um, so I'm always trying to not only, you know, the first thing is to just be able to remember what happened. Sometimes I have to read those scripts two, three, four times because watching something and experiencing it is very different than reading it on paper sort of all at once. And then you have to remember what episode was it when he went and talked to his friend in the bar. And so that's the first thing is just to be able to take in the actual storyline and then to really just go and sort of track how this character's feelings and what their evolution is by the time they get to your episode and sort of making notes of what happens in the thing in the episodes that precede you. So when you talk to the actor, you can sort of remind them, you know, this is like in episode seven when you had that feeling of, you know, X, Y, and Z. So I'm always just trying to understand what is it that these characters are feeling and how is that progressing? Um, right. And I, and I do read those scripts quite a bit, <laughs> quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Tahir, anything that you think you would be looking for um, when you're reading those scripts? I mean, I well, I mean, I think she nailed it. I, I feel as though a lot of times when you come in and you just read a single script, you're getting dropped into this narrative and there's so much happening underneath the surface that you're not familiar with. So I don't know that I have anything to add. I mean, I think it's, it's just like really hunting down those themes and threads. That was another thing that we talked about in the workshop. Why yeah. does this character react this way? Like what's going on in the subtext of the scene? that colors mm -hmm. how these characters are interacting and, and really finding the origins of those um, sort of emotional through lines is, is super important in the preceding scripts. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think you're both like spot on in the sense of like, there's things that you're confirming, but it's also like prep and pre-prep is where you really write down all your questions. Right. So like, like what do I need clarity on? Or like sometimes, uh, when I, I did a Blackish episode with um, Quivanzene Wallace and she was playing um, a cousin, Michael Strahan's uh, kid. Um, and so I was like, wait, is this, it, it seems like this is bigger than my episode, 
Right. And so I, was, I asked the show and they're like, what's being introduced here? And they're like, oh, yeah, it's about to be a five episode arc. So now, like, I'm like, oh, I see what's going on. Or sometimes you're like, it seems like these people about to get together. Is that what's going on in this thing? Um, so any questions that you have are great. So you can become the authority when you get to set. Um so the pre-prep bonus five after you're hired, thou shalt request all floor plans um, for anybody that um, follows my Instagram. Like I'm always kind of uh, popping those images on the floor plans from the production designer for standing sets that uh, already exist. Um, it's a little bit of an administrative job getting them into the app and preparing it for when you actually block and lay cameras. But it's just a thing to get ahead of your prep week because when, when we get to that time and talk about that, when you get there on day one, it's like off to the races. Um, so I'll ask uh, you, Erica, do you use any, what, do you use any particular software for, for your um, blocking and, and shot listing? Not at all. <laughs> I'm a very kinesthetic person, so I actually think that software would hinder me in a, in, a, in a weird way because I like to go and live and walk through the shots and take photographs and I am the camera. I spend a lot of times on uh, the set by myself, just sort of literally with my iPad, um, working out the shots moving around, being the characters. And so by the time I write the shot list, it's sort of in my body and in my brain in a very um, way that, that I can sort of remember. So I don't use any software. I do everything by hand. Awesome. And, and to hear it from, um, you know, preps the same for features or anything like how Do you use any particular thing that you would recommend to folks or do so, you keep so it to, analog? To that point, I mean, I mean, it's very interesting to hear Erica say she works that organically. I, I think it's super interesting. Um, I wish like so I shot my feature in 2015 and in this workshop that we just did, there was a lot of blocking and shot listing simulation so we used um shot designer um i feel like we were like we were, had just begun to start talking about scriptation but like when i made my feature i didn't have shot designer i think i may have had artemis and mm -hmm. i wish that i had had it because for me it does make me uh working with like a virtual floor plan allows me to feel so much more in control even if the floor plan and the blocking is going to change which of course it most likely will um but I think for me, it would be a combination of shot designer, Artemis, and kind of uh, to Erica's point, just making myself be in the space so I can have some semblance of familiarity with the geography. But like mm -hmm. virtual floor plans, in, in addition to everything else, like that changed my life, man. Like just being able to go in and mess with those mm -hmm. icons, um, you, I think you, it makes you feel so much more assured. And obviously you have mm -hmm. a lot of experience with it as well. Um, mm -hmm. So... Yeah, you know, part of it too. It began for me as a as a as a little bit of a of performance art, <laughs> because when I was shadowing, it was a way for people to see that I was working mm -hmm. without talking to them, and <laughs> and and it also, with you know, and it also ended oh up generating conversations because people would say at at after day three, they like let me just talk to this guy and they'd say, What's that? And I'd say, Oh, this is scene eight. This is how I thought it might be shot. Does that look like I'm in the strike zone? And it was like those conversations that led to booking jobs, you know, months later. Um something I feel like you've also said is that by virtue of having that floor plan available on set for 
even writers to see at times if they have questions or what have you helps you to communicate that you're significantly prepared in a way that I think you've said really puts a lot of people at ease, right? Yeah, I mean the whole the whole job is is as you both know it's a it's a job of um of doubt. Right. <laughs> <laughs> is right. she prepared? Does right. he know what this scene's about? Right. Uh, everybody's wondering if you're up to the task, which is right. why after you do a good episode, they want you back because the doubt goes away. Um, so how can you eliminate the doubt? Um, the last pre-prep uh, bonus, and it's funny, the, we haven't even gotten to the Ten Commandments, but the pre-prep bonus, the final one, and you both touched on it, is thou shalt visit the set. Um, Erica noted that she wants to get that time in and, and, and maybe pop in a trailer for five minutes. Um, it's all the same. Uh, it's the same idea. Get to set. Ideally, um, you want to be introduced by someone who kind of delivers you on a platter, <laughs> like a, like an EP, um, or your AD if no one else. So you're not just like randomly strolling, uh, by craft service. Um, and it's just an opportunity for you to introduce yourself, share your excitement, um, make them familiar with your face before the table read, if they have one, otherwise they, they might just see you for the first time on the morning of your first day. Um, and it sounds like this is what you were talking about, Erica, but like, I, I learned from another director, like I'll ask how you like to be directed so I can get a head start on onset style. Because if, if someone tells me like, you know, they need Freudian conversation and analysis, then I'm, I can be ready with that. If somebody is like, you know, just, you know, tell me if it's too big or too small, then I know that. And you're, you have to just adapt your directing style to what they need from you, uh, particularly in television. Um, and so with that now, let's move into the real business. You got the job, you show up, uh, they say you sweat and prep so you don't bleed in production. Uh, and to that, I say you agonize in that pre-prep so your prep can be smooth sailing. And um, you move into the first thing, which is thou shalt read the script infinite times. <laughs> that is commandment number one. Uh, can you both speak to that? I'll, I'll, I'll pass the mic to you guys. I read the script a couple times a day. It's so funny how my understanding of the script continues to evolve and change uh, just throughout my time on the show. So I'm always reading it. And I'm always asking the, the showrunner, the writer's question, any little question I have, I will pop in that office and ask, you know, not only what is it that they intend, but how do they want the audience to feel is always the most important thing for me. Right. How do, right. How do the characters feel first versus how, what they want the audience to take away? Yeah, I mean, that. <laughs> I can't say enough about how important it is to really understand the subtext of every scene. And again, that workshop was very much a refresher for me. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't say enough about that. I think that like, to me, even when I was shadowing, and I think both of you can speak to this too, um, that like when you go on set, people are sizing you up to see, you know, why it is that you are the person that deserves to get the job. And like, in addition to striking up a rapport with people, you need to be prepared as hell. Um, and so, uh, you know, hearken, hearkening back to what you said about like being the authority of the story, like 
if you don't understand what's going on, I think by the time you get to, what is it, the tone meeting, right. where you kind of ask those questions, like you really need to be prepared so that you're not, um, yeah, you're not looking like a dumbass by the time you get on set. <laughs> right. And, and I'll say for, for everything I'm, I'm kind of saying, like I, this is a little system I developed because I found out early on that there's no standard timeline, procedure, or, or culture from show to show. And I was like, what can I do to make this thing plug and play? I can create my own systems, right? And so like when I get the script, um, I love the premium cable shows because oftentimes all the episodes are written well in advance. And mm. you know, like when I did Silicon Valley, I had that script three weeks before I shot, before I, before I started prep. Wow. So by the time prep comes, I'm like really in it. But if you get it on Friday before you start prep on Monday, which is <laughs> often the case um, on network, um, I'll do um, I'll do seven reads of the script. So the first one is again like watching episodes. I'm just reading it as a reader. Um, then I take the hat of each of, of a different production department head. So I my second pass is I read it as a production designer and ask how can I tell the story with the sets or locations. Then I put on my costume designer hat. Uh, assistant director. I think about how many background actors are going to be needed uh, in a scene. Uh, cinematographer. I know I'm not changing the way the show is shot, but is there any special equipment that I want to think about requesting? Um, then I finally look at it as a director. Um, what's the architecture of the scene? How does it fit thematically into the episode? And then my final read is going to be as an actor and knowing what the scene requires seeing if the actors are going beat by beat to communicate something um, with conflict that represents point or counterpoint to the themes of the scene. And so I do all of that personally because the very first meeting of prep, your concept meeting, is this weird combination of like loose meeting, <laughs> yet like really specific, right? Like, like, like it's you and 30 people around the table and Erica knows as well. And like, this may be the first time they're hearing words come out of your mouth. So like for me, I put a little bit more bass in, right? Make sure they know, like, I, I got this. And um, and you just have to, like, questions are going to come up that you want to be, you want to have an answer to that's non-committal, but show that you've thought about this. And that's another moment to get them to say, ah, Erica's got it. Um, so... You know, and every read you get a different when you read it in the morning or at night or at lunch or in your or, you know, on the train, like you really do have a different takeaway. Um, Erica, do you want to talk about like what the rest of prep week or or that I'm thinking of a half hour show, but uh, for an hour, it, it might be, uh, you know, eight days or so. Like what does prep how does prep unfold? Well, I usually find that on my first day, the first thing that happens is there will be an AD who will take me through the sets. That's usually the first thing that happens before the concept meeting. It's really interesting. I was going to ask what you do when you only get the script maybe a half hour before that concept <laughs> meeting. And you can't read it your seven times. I think one of the most important things in a concept meeting is also to just listen and listen to what the creator of the show and the showrunner wants um, 
that's always extremely beneficial. I think that I'm a great sort of leader, but I also am really great at listening and hearing uh, what it is that people are looking for. So usually that first day, um, I'll get a walkthrough of the sets. I will uh, take as many pictures as I can. I'll spend a lot of time on the sets by myself. I always, always arrange to come in on the weekends. Every single show, I spend Saturday and Sunday on the sets by myself, photographing my shots and sort of living through them. So by the time it's time to come to set, I can demonstrate them like the back of my hand because I've done them so many times. Um, uh, and I think I always try to, a lot of times the AD will ask me what order I like to have my meetings. And I try to have the tone meeting as early as possible because if I can really understand what it is that the showrunner, creator, writer is intending for the story, how they you know want things to come across, then it can help my sort of uh, prepping the other areas be a little bit more intentional. So I, when I have a, I, I mean, I've had tone meetings the night before, um, which I mean, sometimes it happens that way, but a lot of that, and for a lot of times I will have already sort of shot listed uh, the majority of the episode. And then I find myself sort of having to make significant changes. So I try <laughs> to make it happen. <laughs> I try to make it happen as early as possible. I just try to, I think the thing for me with episodic directing is really just sort of pacing myself and really just putting one, one brick in front of the other and, um, you know, trying to understand the story as much as possible, trying to sort of understand what I have the latitude to do. I mean, every show is so different. Every show that I've done is so different. When I was on Krypton, you know, that was the first time I ever had to do a CG, had to understand what a CG budget was, <laughs> where they would tell right. me how many shots I was allowed, allowed to have. And it was the first time I ever had to work with a storyboard artist uh, for an episode. You know, it was the first time I ever had to do a bunch of previs and animated things. So it just really depends on the show. I can't say that any uh, show is the same. It's just really about me absorbing as much of the culture of the show right. uh, as I can. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you're spot on with that. And I think I guess the things you can count on in some order or, well, the things you could count on potentially happening, is, right? Because I've done shows where they don't do tone meetings um, and typically comedies. But, um, you know, you're going to have that location scout after this concept meeting. You're going to have a art department meeting. You're going to have a costume meeting. You're going to have a visual effects meeting you're going to have a the new thing is these playback meetings where it's like what's on the ipad are you what's on the i on the phone mm -hmm. are we are we are we doing an insert or, or does it need to move is the typing text oh do you want to put the text on the screen like all of these things are um uh are being discussed and and thank heavens for david fincher's house of cards pilot where they were finally like let's just put the text on the screen so we don't have to owe another shot yeah. Um, but yeah, you're, so you're just trying to be prepared to move through all of those meetings, um, and get more specific as your prep week goes on. Um, commandment number two is thou shalt block each scene during prep. Um, I feel like we've probably already spoken to that. Um, I do think, um, that for me, and I'd love to hear if you guys have anything else to add, the reason... I do all of those individual department head reads of the script is so by the time I start blocking characters, 
there's a reason for everything. Because a lot of times I, I like when I've had people shadow me and I'll be like, show me what you're doing in this scene. You know, they're just making shit up. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, but that would be cool. And it's like, but well, first off, this show doesn't do shots like that. Second, what's the moment that you're trying to communicate? So um, everything is motivated and that's what the reads allow. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting. I've, I've been on shows where we were location scouting even during production. Yep. And I've been on and I've been on shows where I didn't get a chance to see the location until the morning of and I didn't get a chance to go in early to view it. So I have about 15 minutes, you know, that they'll let me in before the rest of the crew comes. So my thing is always just to anchor myself so much uh, in the story and the intention of the characters that I can't be thrown. And I think I'm really good at coming up with things on the spot that work for the style of the show and, and what sort of needs to be said. So, right. you know. I think one of the most important things is just to be so solid in your understanding that you cannot be thrown because you will, <laughs> you, you know, you will have <laughs> situations that are not ideal and you just, they just want you to roll with it. Yeah. 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 I feel like that's also, <clears throat> excuse me, some of the, the fun of what happens in the creativity of working with actors. A, if you're prepared and you have, an intentional idea of how people should move through the scene. Um, but also like, I mean, it was so interesting, like doing this workshop versus doing my feature because on my feature I had, I, I had a very like wannabe Fincher shot list where I was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna get five shots out of this scene. And we were like, ooh, that's sun. And I was like, okay, so that's two shots now, you know, right. and we get the whole entrance in the shot, um, et cetera. But there was a fun little ballet that comes with, that came with like working with the actors uh, on the feature as we like condensed shots and like had the actors moved uh, in a way that complemented our camera angles. Right. Uh, of which when I was doing my 100K feature, we could do very little movement, you know, like we were in, it was like all location stuff in very small sets. Um, but then what was really illuminating through this workshop was this reminder that we got where we, we did this exercise where we were doing blocking and this actor, or we were working with actors virtually and one of the directors wanted to accomplish like a stacked two shot, as in, you know, two people are facing in the same direction, talking to each other. And mm -hmm. this, the actor had, has this moment where they're like, well, I don't know why I would be turned away from the person I'm talking to. And right. just like the exercise of being reminded that you have to make it real for the performer and give mm -hmm. them something natural to it. And it was, you know, I think when you're out of practice, uh -huh. uh, that's something that, that, that is a nice refresher to get, just like giving actors real motivations and in that right. case, the woman just had to like turn and go into her purse as she was saying a line. But it like, it was so it was so illuminating. So right. anyway, probably well, basic little, stuff to both of you guys. No, no, th but that's the granular stuff that makes it work. And the little secret that I have is that you're in in TV. Your blocking is your directing, mm. because if you have buy into the blocking that you've imagined and collaborated with the cast to achieve the show shoots itself the way it shoots itself for the most part. So it will end up collapsing into the way that the show covers a scene. But if, so if you can sell your blocking and identify an interesting master to enter the scene, that's really what you are there to do. And then beyond that, it's the transitions that you take the time to think of because most, I, I, I hate random 
value given. Now, who knows if most, but like a lot of a lot of directors don't think about transitions, and the transitions are what make the episode feel seamless. It's not just like it, we cut from the last shot to the next shot. Like these shots speak to each other, um, and so that's the beauty of of, of blocking. Can I ask um, you a quick question about that? Yeah. Do you feel like that approach varies when you're on like a more premium cable oriented show as in, I don't want to, I don't want to like judge and say something that's less formulaic, but like where Mm -hmm. there could be more variation in in shots from episode to episode. Do you feel like there's more of a challenge to like really, I guess, craft the cinematic language versus if you were doing a network show? You know, I, I, I think it's, I don't, I don't view it. I view view it as the governing principle for me is how much time will they allow? Okay. Right. right. And, and so like, and so like a a cable show you're liable to, I mean, I did eight days on Silicon Valley Mm -hmm. when it's five on blackish so that I know that like on certain scenes, like I can, all right, we're going to bring the crane in and then spend 45 minutes on this one shot. Um, and I know that um, within reason, like it's not like it becomes more more dynamic and blocked because in many ways, just thinking about that show, it's it's standard kind of presentation right. of comedy, um, and the premium comes from the content and the and the perspective. But then there's just a little bit more time given to certain things that you can kind of uh, luxuriate in. Oh, but at the end of the day, it still feels like people want economy. Like even if you're doing like the biggest, the biggest show with all the money, there's still these actors work so much that they're going to be turning at you like, what? That's three more shots. Why are we doing that? So it's a, it's a bit of a dance, I think. Got it. That's exactly um, what I, that is exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get your two step on, people. Um, so Commandment Three is Thou Shalt Shot List. Um, I think another little tip and trick, because some of these things may sound obvious. So I'll, uh, you know, maybe try and pull out something that I've learned that's been helpful. Um, I at, Around this time in prep, I email the editor to get ahead of post, but to also find out like, you know, it's an introduction of myself. It's, hey, what works in this show? What have you found doesn't work that people keep thinking is gonna work? Uh, is there anything you ever wish you got from directors in the footage? Like help, help me be dope. Right. (laughs) And, um, you know, and then also that's just creating that relationship for the later on in post-production. Um, and on some shows I'll share my eventual shot list and blocking diagrams with the AD and the DP. So again, people relax, they're relieved. I don't necessarily do what's on those diagrams, but they know that there's a plan stepping in um, and uh, that makes them exhale. I've come across a few shows that have required a shot list every night, um, uh, Station 19 in particular, because if you don't have one or you say you've got one, but then we discover that you don't, yeah, it is a horrible thing and crazy. and and the show will fall off the rails so um shot list shot list shot list um erica do you do you typically share yours uh i share mine with the um ad and with the dp and i usually will see if they will walk the sets with me either the night before or the day before 
or the morning of, and I'll just go through, um, depending on what they want to ingest, I'll go through the whole week and I'll go through every set or I will go through um, what we're gonna do that day. Sometimes the DP will say, just tell me about this scene. I don't wanna know about the other ones, we're on this one. You know, and, and in that case, if we do have a break where, you know, there's a sort of a, a gap, sort of when they're taking a lot of time lighting, I will say, okay, well, can I take you to the next scene and, and tell you what I'm thinking there? So it just really depends. Got but it. yes, I do share it. Yeah, yeah. And Tahir, I know for, for me, when I did 10 shadowing uh, experiences, like I found that comparing my shot list and stick figures to what was happening on the monitors was like the the most influential education for me because I saw, oh, we're doing a similar thing or, oh, that's a better way to use two cameras in cross shooting or, oh, I was a little bit more efficient on this one. You know what I mean? And, and it's an opportunity to really see the language of and the nuts and bolts of the show. Oh, absolutely. And um, <clears throat> I haven't shadowed as often as I would like, but I think you're totally spot on. It's like, it's a good way to see whether your inclinations are in the groove of the show. And I mean, just coming from like our background in film school, I, I mean, and doing like little shorts and, and a feature and stuff, I would have never come to set without at least attempting a shot list because you know things are going to change when you get to set and things are not going to be perfect. But I mean, I, to keep it 100, <laughs> I've been on a set where I've seen a director. I, actually, I've been on two sets where I've seen directors not prepare. One was for a multicam show that like it was a producing director. It was a comedy show. It was kind of, I don't want to say easy, but like he knew the show. And right. then I, I, I was on another show where I saw a guest director not prepare, like no shot list, no floor plan. It, I was horrified, yo, because it, it was, <laughs> yo, like they went over and it was just like some very, some not efficient stuff was happening. And I would just never dream of coming to set without at least having attempted a uh, shot list. Right. Yeah. Well, the final uh, commandment, which is number four of pre-production is thou shalt come prepared for the tone meeting. Um, and what I love about this conversation is that we're, these things are, even though we're moving in order, they kind of all are, be, are happening at the same time uh, because the points that you were each bringing up are kind of pulling from um, things that we're talking about later, but they are important even before you get to them. Um, but I found um, that these tone meetings can go a variety of different ways. I've had the email tone meeting, uh, which is a weird meeting. Uh, I've had um, ones where I'm just spoken to for like an hour. <laughs> um, I've had ones where I run the meeting in its entirety. And I think that to protect yourself, cover your ass and get the most out of it, you should come into that meeting as a director fully prepared to run the meeting and gain confirmation on all of your questions. But uh, if you really want to get into the nitty gritty, confirmation on what's happening in each scene and what the intents are for the characters in each scene. That can become a super long meeting. Um, on a return to a show, you probably, they probably speed the tone meetings up because they know that you know, but you don't want to leave that meeting with any questions because you're basically um, an avatar for um, the show once once production hits. Um, anything you would add on that, Erica? 
No, I agree. <laughs> I agree. My only thing is try to make it happen as early as possible if I can. Yeah. And if if I can't, just start plugging, just start knocking on the door and asking those tone questions as they arise for me. Yeah, there are no dumb questions. There are only uh, dumb people who don't ask questions. <laughs> um, I, that was. I, oh, yeah. sorry. Well, can I ask what sort of latitude do you have? Like, let's say it's an hour long and, you know, I don't know, you, you have a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. Do you have a lot of latitude to extend that tone meeting? Mm-hmm. And how, like, how do people respond to that? If you're like really trying to dig in and make sure you understand, like, as you said, the intention of every scene, et cetera, for example. Right. That's, a, that's a great question. I think the thing that goes into all of this is like, you have to read the room mm-hmm. and there are, that's a great question because the other side of what I've just said, I think is you want to think you want to make sure you don't ask a bunch of questions that the answer is no to. Because if like, if you keep a- asking questions and they're like, no, no, it starts looking <laughs> in aggregate like like you don't know what the show is about. Right. So but if you've done all these things we've talked about in, in pre pre-production and in prep, your questions are probably going to be in the strike zone. Um, and so. You know, I I would probably say that I personally le- lean toward only asking about the things that I'm really unsure about. Word. Although I have found that sometimes a showrunner will be like feeling like I'm plowing through it, mm-hmm. and they'll be like, "Wait, hold on! Like you just hopped like four scenes, and and then they'll be, let's go back to scene eight. And I'm like, okay, whatever you want to do. Right. Um. I think the final takeaway is. When I leave that meeting, I, I ask, what is it that makes you watch my cut and say, this is what I was looking for. He nailed it. Because if they tell me that and I can do that, I'm likely to get hired again. Hmm. And I'm there to represent their show. Um, so now let's pivot into production. Um, this is where directors sink or swim. You're fully prepared with blocking ideas, your shot list, an understanding of what you need to accomplish to deliver an episode the showrunner will love. But now you have to deal with human beings. Um, Production is the hardest part to describe when you talk to other directors, because in many ways, it's no longer technical, it's psychological. And it's about developing a high emotional intelligence so you can achieve that vision that you prepped. You can't control the process until you can control yourself. And so in some regard, these points might move a little quicker. Um, I feel like they're maybe more anecdotal, if anything. But um, commandment number five is thou shalt provide infectious attitude and energy. (laughs) Um, There's nothing worse than a director who doesn't like keep shit popping. You know what I mean? Like people want to be... whether you either want to match the excitement that's already there for this show that people are making, or in some cases you might reignite an excitement that might've dissipated over a decade. (laughs) And um, I think you just want to be the person to make people feel like this is the thing to do. We're having fun. Let's make it work. I'm positive and I'm enjoying this creative collaboration. And I think that's like, there are a lot of directors who are really good at that and and not as many of the other things that have very long careers. Um, commandment six, thou shalt focus on what matters most in the scene. Um, 
So here, what do you think that, what do you take from that? Uh, I, well, it's, I feel like it goes back to if you, you know, deep film school cuts, but like the Walter Murch book, you know, he's like, you know, if nothing else, the most important thing I think is like the, the emotional through line of what's going on in the scene. Mm -hmm. Right. So if like a fire is happening all around you and I don't know, there's a pandemic explosion, <laughs> right? Like if you just have one take to get, or if you have three takes to get, can you get that through line, even if everything else is not optimal, right? And mm -hmm. I think that carries through from TV and features. Um, right, and, if the, and what's important, is it about the size of the explosion or is it about, you know, the Odessa steps barely saving the carriage, you know, and pulling it out of the way of the explosion and you and you can get it in a close-up. Right. And it's and it's not, you know, like if you if you're down to like a couple shots or one or or one shot to communicate it, where do you put the camera? Um, because oftentimes uh that's all you're gonna need. And if you don't get that, the showrunner will be unhappy. And if you can force yourself to think about that in prep, then you can move through your day very, really quickly because you're only shooting what you need. And how about how about you, Erica? Any any different take on that? I, I think I think it just really varies. For me, it's just always um, down to character and sort of see my my way of my way of prep is so different because you know I, I started studying film at a young age, but so much of my film education came in music school. Just my way of approaching directing is like musicianship. The time that I spent learning orchestration and analytic techniques and sort of how to analyze scores, I do a script the same way. So sort of making and, you know, breaking it down as though it were a score. So for me, a lot of it is me having just a strong visceral feeling about what the character is feeling and how I want that to come across visually and what shots I will need to communicate certain things to the audience. But I find that, you know, as I run out of time, my shot list is always changing. And a lot of times I just bust, bust out a one-er. <laughs> I, I do a one-er, I do a one-er with the quickness. I was, working on, I was working on this show, the first episode of television I ever did, which was actually the second episode I ever booked, was a show on BT called Tales I was doing with Tommy Maddox Upshaw who's a fabulous DP who happens to be my best friend. And we had this, this two-part dinner scene that took place in two different locations. They had like seven actors and we were really running out of time and they allowed me to rewrite the scene, put the characters in a circle and the entire take is a wonder. And it goes like this. And the camera uh, lands on each character for their line for the entire scene. And that's exactly the way that they kept it in the episode. So I don't know, for me, it just it always depends on story, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, that makes absolute sense. Um, so let's hop to commandment number seven from my take. Thou shalt watch for blind spots. Um, when you get an episode is an arbitrary thing. You could get an episode that is just kind of like, um, if we were to think of television as, as an album, you could just get like, the basic not I I don't that diminishes, but you could get what would be a solid album cut. It's that singer, it's that producer, they're in their pocket, and it satisfies, you know, being a good track out of 15 songs. Um, but sometimes you get an episode where it's the banger and you know it's gonna be the song of the summer. 
And it all depends on really the luck of your calendar. It would be a mistake to check out on the album cut episode and to not and to think that you have to make that something more than it is. So this kind of re- re- refers to that episode. And even within an episode that might be a little bit more nuanced and challenging, there are going to be scenes within that episode that don't require your reimagining. So to me, looking for blind spots is saying, okay, I know this is how we always do it, but like, can I shoot this a different way? Um, sometimes no. Um, can I block this a different way? One thing that really comes in handy um, for me, and it, and again, it goes into blocking that I've done a few times on Blackish has been where I sit people at the table. So I'll I'll look at the script and see what the jokes are. And uh, maybe on the last one I did, I had Wanda Sykes in the episode. And of course, you're getting the black perspective of of something. You're getting the white perspective on something, so to speak. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to flip the way they see. I'm going to put Dion Cole next to Wanda Sykes because that two shot is funny as hell. Right. And that was my directing. Now, somebody else could have put them on opposing sides of the table. And now it requires two shots for a joke payoff. And it's a very minor thing, but it's it's that kind of blind spot that I think um, you're there to not check out and bring your perspective and elevate uh, an episode. Um, That's awesome. Hey, you know, this was, but that I learned this shadowing because I I saw people try and impose things onto a scene that does not require your imposition. Mm -hmm. Like some scenes are like, this is the shoe leather to, to, to show what the fuck the episode's about. And it, it, it takes place in the kitchen. Sorry. Every (laughs) week, you know, like you, you're not going to redefine that, but like, if there's something that's unique to your episode on location, a new set, oh, that's where you come in there and you're like, I can put something unique on here because it's my chance to um, do this in in one in one time. Um, commandment number eight: Thou shalt choose your battles. <laughs> so this is the final one in production. <laughs> Um, you know, as much as there are most important moments in a scene, which we talked about, there are most important scenes in an episode and there's a diplomacy at play that I'd argue you want to choose your battles because if you're having an all out negotiation for something that's really trivial, you know, if you're doing that every day, by the time you get to that most important scene, which not all these things are have value, but like if you miss a most important moment or you don't get it perfect, cool. If you miss the most important scene, you will not be back. And so you just want to if you think that there's a unique way to approach that scene, you want to preserve the animosity and the and the potential for people to feel like, you know, even if it's a great idea, if, it, if they've argued with you every day, they may not want to hear it. And they may just be inclined to be like, no, I, uh, every time Pete comes with something, it's an idea that's against the grain. And they may even not be able to hear the good idea. So I think that's important to preserve your prep for the thing that you really want to do to, to define your episode. Um, Erica, hey, can you think of any anecdotes you might want to share or, or experiences that kind of speak to that or 
I just try not to make it a battle. Like if I really want something, well, first off, I'm trying really hard to understand the visual style of the show and sort of imprint that in my brain so that the things that I'm coming up with are in alignment with that sort of already. And then, but if, if there is something that is problematic, I just meet with the, or that somebody might perceive to be problematic. I met with the DP beforehand and talked it through and made sure we were on the same page and telling the same story. And I find that if the DP is on your side and um, if you also give them space to sort of offer something and collaborate with you, then it doesn't come off uh, so much as a problem because everybody's, you know, in it together. So I guess, (laughs) I guess, I guess that's sort of my thing is, uh, yeah, if that makes sense. It does. It does. I, I feel like the thing and like like in the opening of this segment, it's like you really like you can't like here's an example of something that has happened often on sets that you really can't like say here's a rule. But sometimes there might be a thing that an actor is doing that the showrunners are wishing the actor weren't doing. And you show up and they think you're going to be the one to get the actor to not do that thing. And I now see that coming on my first few episodes. Like I was like, oh, yeah, oh you want me to you want me to run that note in and you run that note in and you get your head chopped off. Mm. Right. And and you're just like, oh, I was the guinea pig, you know. And so, like, there's all these little things that come up and then it's like, well, um, do I want to choose the battle of, you know, letting this actor know you better watch how you talk to me, dog, you know, um, at 9 a.m. on day one or. Um, Is that for one, you or for the actor? Um, <laughs> oh, for the actor. That's for me <laughs> not to say that to the actor. Um, or um, I think I, I can think of actually one example um in on one show where it was very simply staged and written and then the actors did not want to do it as written at all and the blocking rehearsal turned into this thing that went from the couch into the sunroom around the table and back to the stairs and that made the scene much more complicated, but it was the first scene I was doing with number one and two on the call sheet and I had just met them. There was no table read, there was no time for me to meet them. And I was like, I'm gonna do this this way because I don't want my first experience with these two actors who were legends to be like, this guy came in and was immediately pushing back on what we wanted to do. And that gained me some currency for things later in the episode. It also made me re-shot list and block what I did for the rest of the day, but those weren't the most important scenes. So you're you're constantly like on the gas and the clutch trying to figure out what do I get out of each of these negotiations. Um, and so hopefully you navigate all that and then you get to post-production for our final two um, commandments. Um, you're in the home stretch. You've got two days to edit a half hour episode, four days to edit a one hour show. Um, and at this point, you're basically trying to deliver on what you promised and hope you get invited back. Um, commandment number nine is thou shalt deliver the director's cut that defends your vision. So this has been a journey um, for me. I found that 
more and more. In the beginning, I tried to deliver something that was really in the pocket of what I'd seen. But now if I have a take on something, I will risk it, not risk it. I will, I will defend my vision and say, here's what I think the episode is. You know, I talked with Rob McElhenney in episode six about how do you feel about directors cutting jokes that you wrote, you know? And now like what I'll do is I try not to cut jokes, but if I, if I lift a scene, I'll put it at the end of the timeline. So it's still viewable and edited for them to make a decision. And it's not a total judgment on what was written because you don't know the personalities that you're dealing with. But at the end of the day, you want to present your best representation of the idea of the episode. Um, can, I, can I ask you a, yeah. a quick question? Excuse me. So are you, when you're going through your, your cut or your assembly, are you actually just like holding a joke in a master and then like doing, putting your cut of the scene with the jokes at the end or something to that effect? Or, or like, if, how does that? Typically, if I, it's, if, if, if a whole scene is lifted, I'll be uh -huh. like scene 18 is after the tag or, you know, at the end of the episode, um, Got it. if there's, there might be small jokes I might cut for time, but I try to be uh, respectful of that. And also, again, you can ask, like, what kind of director's cuts are you looking for from the showrunner? And they might say, oh, we we want it for we, four to five minutes over is fine. And then you you kind of know, like, oh, I got a pocket that's acceptable. Uh, some want, you know, closer. The, the closer your cut is, the less work they have to do and the more they want to bring you back. Sure. Um, but Erica, what's been your, um, what's your post-production process in, in getting to that final cut? Well, I like to edit in, um, character arcs. I like to edit in storylines because I find that you can make a character, if, if there's an A story, a B story, C story in an episode, you can make one character's journey a little bit more accurate if you're editing sort of the, all of their scenes throughout the episode sort of at a time instead of jumping back and forth. I like to sort of start with uh, one or two um, arcs and sort of really track uh, from scene to scene whether or not we're pulling performances that support where the character is going. Um, I've learned that that works best for me. I find that you can ask the editor, how does the showrunner or the, how do the producers respond to you uh, proposing certain things or cutting certain things? Because they'll let you know if the showrunner is okay with you lifting lines or not. And if they are, a lot of times um, I lift things that are only repetitive uh, in nature that it may have already been stated in, the, in a previous scene or sometimes in the same scene. And I try to do it in a way that's tight enough uh, that nobody would even uh, notice. But I always, always, always try to fight for uh, how I want the episode to be received. Mm -hmm. And um, just... just for me, that's sort of the number one thing to know that my vision was um, articulated. One, one challenge uh, that has come up for me, and I, I wonder how you deal with this too, Erica, is that for the last year and a half, most of my post-production windows have happened while I'm prepping the next show. Oh. And so that means I'm editing via email. And so you get the cut, you get this editor's cut, which is you have to learn how to receive that cut as, as a director, because it's <laughs> basically because, because you'll, because you have to understand what they're doing. They're, they're also on a timeline and they're like, okay, here is the basic 
kind of construction of the scenes. I haven't made really timed specific choices on who to be on, when and where, but it's like a, it's, it's a, a pretty good representation of what you did. And then you have to send back these notes um, and then you get the cut back and you send notes again. And like what would be two days or four days kind of gets condensed into almost half the time because they're including the time in between the cuts almost as days, unless you make a campaign for them not to, which is what I often do. So you end up having to give these global notes, which are, you know, I think this scene is needs to be leaning more in this direction or let's trim the fat across every scene. I think this perspective would help uh, on this one, you know, ideally because you're not really imposing a vision across every scene in the show. You probably only have two to three scenes maybe where you're like, all right, now you're about to get the most granular notes ever. <laughs> um, but you know, it's a different deal when it's over email and you don't get to sit there and finesse it because you don't get to say after they try it, oh, hell no, that doesn't work. You have to like give a note that leans them in a general direction. So have you had to navigate that on your post-production, Erica? I'm super specific about everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's so interesting because um, some of the last episodes I've done, I've definitely have to had to give notes over email, which I wasn't fond of. And then there've been times when I'm uh, prepping one show in LA and in production on one show. And then sort of after we wrap, I would still go and sit with the editor uh, on the other show. Um, but I try to give them um, as broad and also as specific notes as possible because I don't know that I'm gonna have time to do it later. I don't know how long it's gonna take them. So I try to make sure that I at least if I only sit with them one time, if I'm only ever, you know, only able to have a limited amount of time to communicate with them, they know everything that I wanted. Mm -hmm. And then how much of that uh, they're able to do, you know, um, is whatever. But, you know, I, I found that I just tell them, <laughs> mm -hmm. I tell them even the most minute note, I let them know uh, so that we can have a shot at achievement. And it's been working. Yeah, and it, it seems like a, a not a lot of time, two days, four days, but if you're very specific about how you shot your episode um, and, you know, you're not uh, uh, just dumping a whole bunch of coverage and it can be shot, I mean, it can be cut from every way, like if you have a perspective, it tends to be a pretty clean process. Um, the final commandment, number 10, uh, after you've, you've looked the editor in the eye and said, well, I think that's it. <laughs> uh, uh, whether you ran out of time or you feel like it's great or whatever, whatever it might be. Um, you send it off and my process is to email the showrunner, um, creator, not always the same person, um, the kind of main uh, behind the scenes people that I've been dealing with from a producer perspective and letting them know how excited I am about the cut. Uh, if there's anything that I may have cut or lifted, I'll make a note of it and why. I'm kind of further defending my thesis here um, and just say like how much I enjoyed it and I look forward to seeing it on the air. The, the beauty of those weeks or months later of when it airs is that after this kind of, all this work that you've put in from pre-production, 
to prep production and now through post, you now finally get to see um, what the show wants, what the show likes, what the show aspires to be, because you can look and see what they kept. Um, and it's a, it's like the most clear indication of where you were right and where you were um, maybe off the mark. And, um, you know, when you get invited back, you have you have a little bit more confidence. You know that you're in the pocket and then you feel like you can try to enhance things in, in more places than you might have before, because you know that it's not a crazy idea. Um, how do you cap off your your episode experience, Erica? I usually send a gift to uh, all the producers and just a note. And I actually do the opposite. I don't say anything about the cut. I just um, let them receive it. Um, and then the editor will usually let me know. Uh, the editors always uh, tell me, you know, and I, I usually get very good responses. And, um, there yeah, you go. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Tahir, it looked like you, you were kind of uh, shaking your head at, 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 at that point or any of those <laughs> post-production points. Was that stuff kind of new? Because I know in the programs, they, on all the episodes I shadowed, with the exception of um, Grey's Anatomy, where I kind of got brought in to post uh, with a very g gracious invite from Ellen Pompeo. Like, how is any of that illuminating? Unexpected. Yeah, I mean, certainly, because I think that's one of the more nebulous facets of the whole process for someone who is yet to direct uh, just how to sort of engage the editor and also um, how to execute the handoff to the showrunner in a kind of graceful fashion, uh, despite like whatever neuroses you might have about what you've done or what have you. So it's certainly very illuminating. Right, right. And the, and the beauty of it, you know, all of this is designed, I think, to nurture and maintain relationships. The best emails are, um, I'll leave the, the show uh, nameless, but uh, I did an episode of, of, of something. It was the first one I got invited back for. And I got an email from the showrunner in all caps saying, you fucking killed it. And like, that's awesome. That's like, you know, that's when you're like word. And of course I was invited to do the season premiere for the next season. So, wow. you know, it's, I, I, my final thoughts would be like it, a lot of this is really negotiating being a member of a family and coming in and kind of taking the reins and trying to find how to guide and be a leader without ruffling feathers and what's, so interesting is that I know directors who who kind of buckle at the idea of doing that and feel like it's not directing. But what happens is this weird little Jedi thing where, you know, you do that the first time, then they know that you are there to respect the show. And there are shows that I'll go do now where no one comes to Video Village anymore. I feel like I'm making like my own little independent film because they you've delivered episode after episode and when you're like you know i know that we never do handheld but i was thinking handheld for that scene and they like they're just like on their phone nodding yeah cool you know because they know you're not trying to build your reel and so i think that's like a super um important thing uh to keep in mind as you as you get into episodic directing and and expand upon it and and use it as a launching pad for whatever you might want to do next Awesome, man. So I don't know. Any 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 final thoughts before we close it out? 
this has been great. This is like a this is very much like a seminar. I feel like I've learned a lot from both of you. <laughs> you know, um, now nah, it's like a lot of good, useful tidbits that I feel like should be way more available to people that are trying to get into TV directing. So it's very cool to hear this stuff. I want to thank you both for uh, joining. I feel like this was a like a nice roundtable of folks because of the, you know, um, we come from from similar backgrounds, we all were interested in getting into television. Um, you know, Tahir, your episodes are coming. I know this. Erica continues to work. I think she's booked at number 13 so far. Wow. You know, That's I've awesome. uh, done about 30 episodes. And whenever COVID opens the world back up and that's gone, I'm looking forward to getting back in the chair. Um, but I hope this is helpful to everybody listening. Um, if you have questions, hit up the mailbag. And uh, that's episode 10, y'all. Let's shoot with Pete Chapman. This is Keith Powell. I'm a writer, director, and actor. And you're listening to Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman. How to Succeed as a Creative Professional is Pete Chapman's upcoming book about his journey as a director. What started in 1993 has been a marathon full of persistence and creative pivots, transitioning from indie filmmaker to teaching at NYU's acclaimed film school, to running a production company, to directing television and commercials, and ultimately eyeing a return to the feature films that gave him his start. A mixture of how-to, self-help, and inspiration, this book will be for any person eyeing a successful career in a creative art. How to Succeed as a Creative Professional is coming soon. What's up, people? This is Pete Chapman. Follow me on Instagram and on Twitter via at Pete Chapman. Follow the pod on Facebook on our Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman official page and hit up our mailbag with questions, suggestions, or hey, donations if you're feeling like it via Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman at gmail.com. And just in case you need to know how to spell it, that's Pete with the last name C-H-A-T-M-O-N.